You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And this episode starts our Halloween month. And we were a little scared, Matt. I know you were you're having some bad dreams, so we needed someone to help us get through this. Who did we choose? It's me. Hi, it's Ashley again. <laughs> She's back! <laughs> I will never go away. <laughs> and as you continue to lock on to odd franchises with us okay maybe star wars is an odd but you know what i mean yeah it's like you never know what kind of franchise ashley's gonna start the adventure with and uh this one this one's kind of a big one and then really trails off in the franchise so before we get into our history with it and reviewing the vhs i got a lot of books here that uh, none of us or maybe some of us have read so let me know stop me if you've read any of these the amityville horror from 1977. I have not read it, but my mother read it like back when <laughs> it came out. Um, and she has let me know that it terrified her to no end. It scared her so bad. She was like, I just kept reading it and it kept freaking me out every single night. So like, that's just a fun, like nostalgic teenage horror moment for this franchise. Like it was such a big deal that like, even my mom has a story a story about it. Yeah, I guess that was kind of like our Netflix documentaries of making a murder and stuff like that was mm-hmm. you know, we had to read back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, which must have been just an absolutely terrible time. <laughs> Resource material. So much. Reading. I mean, what wouldn't that strain your wrist? How do you how do you hold a book? I don't know, man. I'm a I'm a lit degree, so I had to <laughs> I had to lift so many books, but tablets were coming along by the time I got to college, so yeah, I was waiting for you to be like, uh, I kind of like- I'm actually like pretty booky, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great that you chose Matt because- um... <laughs> He's very movie-y. <laughs> yeah. And he can't read. <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect pair. <laughs> okay, we got the second one here. Uh, Murder in Amityville, the 79 book. The one, that one's more based off the family beforehand. I've never, I've never read any of these, I don't think. I would love to, though. Uh, we got Amityville Horror Part 2, the 82 book, which cracked me up because the original writer did not write any of the rest. So you had Jay Anson came out with the Amityville Horror in 77. Murder in Amityville was written by Hans Holzer. And then Amityville Horror Part 2 was written by John G. Jones. That serves as a sequel to Amityville Horror. So this is, this is madness to me <laughs> because the original two books are based off, you know, the Lutz family, the first one. And then the second one, which is a prequel, is based off the DeFeo family about the murders. So I guess after that, they're just like, fuck it, all fantasy. Well, that's kind of what the film franchise chooses to do as well. Yeah, it's almost the same pattern pattern there, where it's <laughs> uh, one is the, the classic story we all know, and two is the DeFeo story. And then after that, it's 3D and cursed objects and... 
Who knows what else to come? <laughs> Let me just say that, like, I may not be doing this whole franchise, but I am witnessing the whole franchise. Matt has been watching everything, and I've been watching all of these movies, and I have not seen them all. And so weird. We go so far. So I can only imagine what kind of bizarre stuff is in, like, the later books. There's no barriers. You could just write whatever. So I'm very curious how they continued the Amityville story. Yeah, you're going to get to see it a little bit. Matt and I are definitely going to experience it. But with the books, I wonder if it just gets as crazy. Yeah. Someone out there, please give us the uh, the short version. And by short, I mean, we have an attention span of maybe four minutes. So go. <laughs> I, I can't hear them. Oh, I don't think this works two ways. Damn. <laughs> it barely works our way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quarantine tech jokes. <laughs> They'll never know. They'll never know that we just kept clicking buttons until something worked. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. So we have Amityville, the final chapter. Amityville, the evil escapes. Okay, so they actually named the fourth movie after the fifth book. That's curious. Oh, and the Amityville curse. The Amityville horror returns. Amityville, the nightmare continues. And high hopes, the Amityville murders. I also like it that the literature, books, and everything have just as bad subtitles as the movies. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I don't know, the horror returns? Okay, that works, whatever. Vague, spooky times. Yeah. Yes. And, and some, and yeah, like you mentioned, some crossover between The Evil Escapes and The Amityville Curse with the actual movie series. I know that for The Evil Escapes, the movie, the book is credited as like being the inspiration or this the story for the fourth movie so why they picked the fifth book to do the fourth movie on we'll never know but <laughs> alas well we'll have to wait, wait until week four to see if anyone has any information on that <laughs> <laughs> but i'm sure it's tough because that's a tv movie but to kind of set it up for the younger viewers and kind of like you know all this was started before we were I was born in 82. Matt, you're 89, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm 91. You're 91, so you're the baby. We have a sprinkling yeah. <laughs> of times. But, I mean, this predated all of us, and so did this, like, Catholicism-influenced horror film. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we've gotten it because it came back, and it was the 90s had it. I mean, Catholics, nuns, priests, fathers, I mean, oh. it's just intertwined with horror films throughout the time and it's kind of reminds me of adventure films with nazis if you want an easy bad guy stick a nazi in there (laughs) if you want an easy you know mysterious supernatural element in your film just stick a priest in there i I feel like that all throughout time and then you know we've got so many where we got rosemary's baby that kind of kicked it off in my mind in 68 the omen similar has like the priest aspect yeah, 76, the Elven. Exorcist mm-hmm. 73 really kicked it off. and I think it's know. very telling that, like, this movie, the Amityville Horror, at least for me, was, like, really big growing up because it's the movies that my parents were scared of. It's the Amityville Horror. It's the Exorcist. Like, I heard about that growing up because, like, my family was like, that is the scariest movie ever. And I, and we, we were kind of talking about it too. Like the Catholicism is like such a big thing that it's like ingrained in your mind, especially at that time. So like anything with a priest or the devil or like, you know, anything like that is absolutely pure terror for that time. Yeah. I think it was, it played into the like satanic panic that was going around with 
Charles Manson and those murders and then anything else, you know, the devil's going to get you through the kiss music type thing. <laughs> uh, there was satanic panic and who was going to fight that? Well, that was going to be Jesus and Catholicism and stuff like that. So I think that's what gave rise to like the, the Catholics versus devil genre but that we get in the seventies. This is a movie though, where like, who's going to save you? Like nobody, nobody, <laughs> <laughs> But the, but a priest does try, so I feel like there's still yeah, it still has that like Catholicism thing uh, that like definitely came back again in the '90s because even we were talking about Stigmata during mm-hmm. um, Amityville Horror when we were watching it. So it's just yeah, it comes and goes in cycles. I feel like <laughs> yeah. What was the Arnold movie where he was Jericho and uh, End of Days? End of Days. Yeah, I just remember like it, it's all over. I mean, the devil demons all that it's such an easy trope or bad guy you know bad entity to use it's i don't think it will ever go away because it's just it's easy i'm not even going to say it's lazy because some of these are very well put together you know they take an easy concept like a monster like a frankenstein and they're able to you know like okay we'll make it supernatural some people use it and make it more interesting but most, I'm going to say like 80%, it's it's about as lazy as it gets. Eh, it's a ghost. And it's cheap, too. I think it's like something about the religious aspect is just so relatable for so many people. I would say less and less over time just because like there's so much information and stuff. And uh, there's like a lack of faith <laughs> going forward. Not to diss anything now, but like... I think that faith was such a big thing and it's relatable that those stories keep being told because like the people making movies, even to this day, they grew up in some kind of like faith based thing. Mm -hmm. And those terrors in the night that get you, they speak to people. And yes, it is very repetitive because I've seen a lot of generic exorcism movies and things like that. But like, there's something about a demon where you can't control what's happening. I think it's that loss of control that's like interesting for filmmakers, maybe. And I think I think Amityville, you know, it has this this perfect storm of yes, now satanic panic is happening, and we're fighting that with Catholicism, which is you know rampant in the '70s. We just you know coming off of Charles Manson and stuff like that. We do all those things, and then we have a perfect concoction where it's like, well, we can make a kind of cheap demon movie mm-hmm. and it's based on a true story. True in quotes, mm-hmm. you know, you never know true story. That's super popular. So Amityville just kind of has like this perfect wind of all of what's happening right at the time, uh, in order for this movie to get to this. It's also danger in your home. Yeah. Which is another fear that that was prevalent in the seventies because people were just fucking walking into each other's houses and killing each other and shit <laughs> in the seventies. So another fear. Yeah, it's an easy way to scare people because not yes. only do you have where you should you should feel safest at home. Uh, it's your comfort zone. You know, a lot of people, especially in the 60s, 70s, didn't even lock their doors because they all lived in small worlds and they didn't know, you know, they didn't have the constant ear news now. Yeah. So you had that. You had that relaxation like, oh, they're, they're getting us in our house. Like, what was it? Black Christmas? That was another slasher from the 70s where you kind of like... Every- You're supposed to be safe on campus and instead like someone is preying on you in your home space. Yeah, and then you also have the relation of like everyone has a family member with a ghost story or something happened in their house. Mm-hmm. So you get all the murders, the re, you know, relatable, like, oh, something spooky in the house and also the fear of someone's attacking you in your comfortable spot. Also, the fear of a parent turning on you, a parent figure 
turning on you. Like there's there's so many elements that make you uncomfortable. If you're a kid watching this at the time it comes out, this is the scariest fucking thing ever. No, that is a good point. The loss of trust of a parent figure or a or an authority figure. You can't trust anyone because someone is trying to hurt and kill you. Yeah, beyond even like the the home being scary, like haunted or whatever. The family, the, unit. the family is coming apart as well, which is another big fear of the seventies. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, the destruction of the family, the home. Mm. <laughs> it's a good big tornado coming together to make one hell of a big hit. Big hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it held the independent record for like eight years after this. Well, people were too terrified to go to the theaters after that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at it even more, you get, yeah, we started with The Exorcist 73, but this became so drawn out. They get Omen 76, Exorcist 2, The Heretic 77, The Sentinel 77, Omen 2 78, Amityville Horror 79, The Final Conflict 81, The Beyond 81, Amityville 2 82, Amityville 3D 83, and then it became so popular. That we even had a spoof of it with Leslie Nielsen called Repossessed in 1990. I mean, that's when you know you hit peak. Oh, yeah. That's like peak pop culture because Leslie Nielsen like made fun of it. Yeah. But I've never seen that and I would love to because we've been watching like a ton of those <laughs> and talking about like, uh, what is it? Hot Shots and Airplane. And... Yeah, the spoof Well, movies. Is he in Hot Shots? No. No, I just assume <laughs> he's in every spoof. <laughs> yeah, and Hot Shots part... D uh, is one of my favorite, but I haven't seen it in a long time. So who knows? Yeah, the Repossessed has that same joke a second. I've seen it. It's okay. But it's got that same joke a second functionality that like Airplane and Naked Gun. I want to watch Naked Gun so bad again. It's so funny. Uh, It's the same kind of humor. Uh, But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, like by 1990, I think it would, that's about when it probably, that was right the death of it was probably a spoof movie at that point these kind of movies but i mean if you think of like the amityville series as a whole i feel like people really only consider the first one to kind of be the good one the the rest of the series is pretty quickly brushed off i don't know the reboot like i think i don't think it was a perfect thing but i think it brought it back into interest yeah, there was like a slew of then more Amityville stuff again after that. Yeah, but Ryan then if Reynolds you look at all out. of the ones after that one, you would say it's the first one and then the Ryan Reynolds one. Like that's what yeah. people have seen right. consistently. Right. Yeah, and I, I rewatched the Ryan Reynolds 2005 one where they take out a lot of the religious aspect and go, they, they lean it down and they go right after just the families falling apart. Well, his insanity, I think they focus on his insanity way more as well as his interaction with the kids, which is, it's like reflecting the fears of modern times. It's like less about religion and yeah, like more terror or if like these kids can trust this person. Yeah, I think that remake paints the father as, or the stepfather as more of like an outsider Mm -hmm. because in 2005, we were so afraid of the outsider. (laughs) Whereas James Brolin in the first movie is like the most wonderful stepfather ever, ever. (laughs) (laughs) So when he turns, it's, it's even, it's a different kind of vibe. Yeah, it is. And for some reason that one was liked by critics a lot more uh, well i should say not by critics uh both of these are trashed by critics well they're wrong <laughs> well, it's it's just interesting 
why? Because the 79 one was trash because everyone's just like, oh, it's just another haunted house horror movie. And they had no respect for them back then. Yeah. The new one had a problem. I don't really understand why, but both. But the audience actually liked the new one in 2005 or the remake. Like if you look at all these scores now, looking back at 79, tend to look back at it as fondly anymore. I, which just confuses me because when I looked at it and watched the film, I was like, this is a really spooky atmosphere. Does it have a lot of subplots that go nowhere? Yes, that annoyed me. <laughs> we can get into that later on. I was curious why the audience after time doesn't really like the 79 one as much, but they like the 2005 one, which is just a lean down version. I don't know. I just find that very curious. I think it's the religion aspect. I I think people at that time, if they are taking their families to see this, and this is a movie that shows that their religious institutions can do nothing. And it is like a little hopeless for most of the movie because no one can reach out no one can help you are alone and that is not a value or a state of mind that was popular at the time because like the whole thing back then was the family unit and your faith and like anything that kind of talked against it i think can have like a lasting negative impression because it is going against your norm your life and now it's also revealing anxieties about, I don't know, I think it's just picking at the wound of like secrets. <laughs> and I think by the time, you know, we got to 2005, a lot of these things like faith and the, you know, falling apart of the family unit were kind of cheesy, you know, thoughts for, for 2005, which was like the post 9-11, because it was almost like we had bigger fish to fry. We were just like, we're religion, whatever. So I think that's what makes the original cheesy to maybe more modern audiences that don't typically watch stuff like this. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but I, I do. I feel like that echoes sort of what I always heard growing up about these movies was like they were all kind of cheesy and none of them were particularly good after the first one again these are things that i heard before i saw any of them so this is not necessarily my opinion i do think there is like this like air of like oh these are kind of cheesy movies uh and I, it may come from that religion aspect and those fears of the 70s that we just don't have today because we have new bigger scarier fears yeah you have a good point i mean the 2005 one what it gave me was uh no one's coming to help yes and they're just running on their own which after 9-11 and everything like that, it's just like, can we get some help? <laughs> like, that's, what, that's what I felt like with a lot of movies. And that's why I think superhero movies did well, is because someone's coming to help. And yeah. with the 2005 one, at the end of it, I was just like, all right, we already saw this in the first one. I don't really care. But it did make a ton of money. I mean, $19 million budget, and it made $108 million in the box office. And it also propelled Ryan Reynolds into stardom, like, we never saw coming. He was always in a star in my heart. I always saw it coming. I watched that motherfucker on Two Guys, a Girl on a Pizza Place. <laughs> I really liked him there too. But this like brought him into a realm where I like immediately was like, holy shit, he got even hotter. <laughs> and uh, and then he started doing stuff like smoking aces and like he did all the cool like edgy shit. <laughs> so like Ryan Reynolds in a horror movie is my favorite. Yeah, he just oozes charisma. He's like the rock. I mean, yes. he could literally be a librarian and he'd be like, I want to go to that library. I don't even read. 
I would love for The Rock to be in a horror movie like re- like soon. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. I I'd watch both of them in a Ooh, horror movie, like horror revenge movie. Ooh. He Ooh. could beat the shit out of somebody. Some ghosts. <laughs> some ghosts. <laughs> I want to see The Rock beat up some ghosts. I'll do it. Sign me up. <laughs> All right, going into this, if we we've already pretty much discussed our history, so we can skip over that little note in my notes. We'll go straight to the video store. It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. What do you think? I love it. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry. Mommy, I want to go home. God's peace in this house. What do you want from us? Amityville Horror, rated R. Starts July 27th at the Southgate Valley, Washington Square and Foster Drive-In. If we're we're young, let's say, let's pick uh, 1995. Uh, you guys are really young. Well, maybe that's a little young for you. 95 for me, 1999 for you. <laughs> no, I watched horror movies way too young, <laughs> for sure. I mean, yeah, in 95, I was like four. So, um, yeah, I was probably seeing some of this stuff when I was like seven or eight, honestly. I just loved horror movies. Yeah, the spookiness. The spookies. So if we're walking down the video store, Matt, what are we looking at here? Well, what cover do you have for yours? Because you actually watch this VHS. All right. My cover is just, it has the Amityville Horror, for God's sake, get out, subtitle below it. But it has a really cool devil's tale in the age, which I'm sure back then was something new. We've seen it a hundred times thousand times now but i liked it uh it's it sets up something like something's eerie above this family is going to happen because then you have like a nice production still of margot kidder and james brolin like they're just sitting there they're not quite hugging but they're they're touching and you're like something is going to wreck this family that's what i get from this you know it's got that blue eeriness kind of like cold scary fall but you know what I found interesting about this? This movie came out July 27, 1979. But this has such a fall look. My question is, do you think they put it out in July to hit all the drive-in theaters? Oh, probably. I think that's like a horror movie out of drive-in, I feel like, is the way to do it. Yeah, we were in the infancy of like the summer blockbuster. We weren't quite there yet. But I think, yeah, having more exposure during the summer was still a thought in the 70s especially 79 so i think the pot the book was so so popular that they probably had confidence in this putting it out in the summer yeah and when i looked at mine it's warner brothers and it's got even orion on so this one came out in 87 which i guess would make sense you know i, I think that's when people started to rent go to you know wherever they could rent movies 87 this seems perfect for that time I don't know if there is a younger VHS than this or an older. Yeah, this one, this one's weird because so many different companies have put it out because of the Orion and MGM battles. So, I mean, there's been multi-packs of DVDs. There's the two tape one with the one and two. There's been so many weird releases of this movie because of all the different companies it's floated through. Well, plus Amityville is a town and you can't copyright a town's name. That's why you get a lot of these movies that you know like the amityville whatever they'll just put a name onto it because they get away with it you could say amityville goes to space where it's a space shuttle you know possessed by the house you can't copyright that 
Why haven't they done that? No, <laughs> they will now <laughs> that we put it out there. We will now. Um, but yeah, they think it's fun. I think it's so funny that like, yes, that's been the case and that is the case, but nobody really tried to make an Amityville thing, you know, off of the actual series of movies until that 2005 remake came out. That kind of kicked in after that movie. That's when we saw the flood of the direct-to-video, direct-to-VOD shot in the backyard kind of uh, Amityville movies. We, before that, it was just the nine movies in the original series. So I think it's <laughs> far <for>, too many. <laughs> yeah, a lot, but like the part of the official series. And then it, and then, and then the door gets kicked open in 2005, 2006, 2007 for all the indie filmmakers to start making the Amityville knockoffs, I guess you would call them. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if like no one thought of it before a certain time period and then say someone did it and they're like oh we're gonna sue you and then they went to court and you know the judge was like uh yeah you can't do anything about that amityville's a town you can't copyright that and then thus open the floodgates came through like no other (laughs) so i I don't really know if that's true i just know there's so many offshoots that i can't even keep up i would say there's close to with movies that have amityville in the title there's got to be over 20 now I have not seen them all. I, I'm not trying to see all of the direct-to-video ones. I mean, I'll, I'll pick up ones here and there if, if they look interesting, but I'm not trying to see them all. I bet there's more than 20 at this point. There's probably like 25, 30. Yeah. Because there's already 10 in the official series now. Yeah, Wikipedia has the last one. Part of the official is the Amityville Murders, which came out in 2019. I don't think that one is part of the actual series, but it is, it's a more, it had like a limited theatrical release and stuff like that. So it's actually more than some of the other ones, but I don't know. Cause it's just a loose remake of two, but making it. So it's the DeFeo's instead of the vague family that it is into, but we'll talk about that when we get to two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, since the remake, it's got Amityville Horror 2005, Amityville The Awakening 2017, Amityville Murders 2018, and then Amityville Harvest 2020. But I mean, it's Wikipedia. Who knows? I think what we're all saying is we don't really care to know. We'll just make up our own. <laughs> this is what we're watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not trying to see every single one. I'm just trying to see the ones that uh, I guess I feel like I count, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> But uh, back to the uh, original here, does the VHS cover that you have feature the house pretty prominently? Yeah, it's got the house behind them with the the eyes, you know, with the The spooky windows, spooky windows, which I think are fantastic. It's such a great visual for this film to lean on. Gorgeous. My heart is broken that like they had to like actually rip out those windows because people (laughs) like kept coming to find it. Yeah, I heard that. I don't know which movie they switched them. But the new owners of it switched them to more of like mini windows. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think in in real life they had to like relocate the house or something like that. Is that is that? Am I, I, just... I think they moved the house and, and then, then they, they changed the, the windows, windows because yeah. it, people kept finding it yeah. because it's iconic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sad because I love those windows. Yeah, they are. They're fantastic. It's such a a treat from the 70s. <laughs> it's a great. This film is. I think what makes it so strong in my mind also is there's a bunch of things is, but the visuals in this are so well done where mm-hmm. it, they seem really thought out by the director. You know how to shoot a spooky film. I'll just say that. Yeah. The, the uh, atmosphere is very spooky and 
I don't know. I think it's also like the actors. They they are so like carefree in the beginning and like comfortable. And then that quickly shifts. Holy shit, James Brolin like looks like death <laughs> by the end of the movie. <laughs> he just goes down quite a hill and just starts like really good looking. He's got that lion's mane and then he just falls down a hill. And then before the end of it, he just looks like death. Yeah, I just love the gradual, like, dark eye circles that start popping up. And then he just looks like he's literally very ill. And uh, I don't know, I think, like, the character performance, like, matched with, like you were saying, like, cinematography, the the setups of everything, the shots they chose to do, even, like, a lot of, like, the lack of music. It, it's just making you pay attention. So the, the back of the box here has basically an entire novel. I'll read it, but this is going to suck. The true life story that made millions believe be unbelievable. George and Catherine Lutz and their children are overjoyed with their three-story colonial style home. It's a dream come true, but the Lutzes should beware. Some dreams turn into nightmares. The Amityville Horror, a classic skin crawler based on Jay Anson's bestseller, stars James Brolin and Margot Kidder as a young couple who purchase a house that was the site of six brutal murders. A house cursed with an inexplicable evil waiting to spring again to fiendish life. If truth is stranger than fiction, this is the movie to prove it. Insects appear in mysterious swarms, walls ooze with strange fluids, chairs move, doors explode from their hinges. Priests and psychics alike flee in terror from an unseen yet overwhelming menace. Filmed in a specifically built exact replica of the original. What? No, that's the real house, isn't it? Ah, whatever. The Amityville Horror vividly captures the shudder-inducing true-life events carefully researched by Anson. Just 28 days after their move-in, the Lutz family escaped their horror-drenched house, leaving behind everything but the clothes they wore. And the dog. Don't forget the dog. The Amityville Horror is their story, a tale of stark terror described by Newhouse Newspaper's Richard Freeman as the scariest haunted house movie since Psycho. The film is in every way a stunner. See it if you dare. Oh, that is a huge description. I think this is done because it only has one uh, production. Well, no, it's an actual still from the movie. But I think this is before they realize that less is more on these descriptions. Yeah, I mean, they give us the whole story immediately because like, but I think they're doing that because it is a it's a real story. Yeah, it's so popular. They're like, we know you know the whole story, but we're going to show you the crazy shit that happened in here. Yeah, so like, I don't think they need to like harp on the actual real story. I think it's funny that they say it's like the scariest haunted house movie since Psycho because like in my brain, a majority of the film like does take place in like the motel like aspect Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. like the haunted house is more of an image than it is like they're trapped in the house. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't, I don't consider psycho a class. I consider that like an epic slasher of some sort, but not like a haunted house movie. This is specifically contained to the house. Like they're almost trapped in the house by this thing. Yeah. And it just feels more like the house is a character. (laughs) Well, they're also trapped in the house for another reason, and they sunk every dime they have into this. Yeah, that's what you did when you had a family and a good opportunity. I I think it's weird that the, well, not weird, it probably was just cut for time from the book or whatever, but this movie doesn't particularly harp on that too much. We get it. We know that, like, 
And then we're reminded of it when the guy loses the money and then he has to write the check and the check bounces. We're reminded that they don't really have money. But I feel like that 2005 one really, really talks up how they sunk every dime in it. This one, it's just the beginning and then that one scene. And then that's kind of it. I think more. It really does focus on it in the newer one. But like this one, I remembered it being more of a prevalent thing. And I think it's probably just like crossing my lines of like the two movies because I've seen both a lot the remake and the uh this original one but i don't think the money is too much an issue i would say that the reason he's having financial problems is because he's unable to fucking work his work partner is like dude you gotta sign these checks you gotta sign these checks you have to answer these people you're not whatever you're not like collecting payments you're not dishing out payments like He's not doing his job, and I think that's why his business is going under. It's like, yes, of course he put a lot of money into this house, but, like, his life shouldn't have changed that much. But because he is, like, obsessed with fucking chopping wood with an axe (laughs) and sharpening that spooky-ass axe that by the end is barely a nub, uh, (laughs) I think that's, like, what completely derails his financial situation versus just having to pay things for the house. Yeah, I guess I like it in the remake because then it makes it more subtle. Like you said, it's more about, yeah. It heightens our anxiety. Yeah, it's like, you know, you see him not working and you kind of know, like, from the beginning, there was a struggle there. But, like, yeah, I guess it works. I think it works. I guess now you've convinced me it works better in this one that because it is, it's more subtle. But again, too, it might be the thing where everybody knew the whole story before they went to saw the movie because the book was so popular and everything. Maybe they just didn't even need to include it that much. I think to the point of talking about the that box and everything and the description, even, as long as it is, I feel like I would be pretty interested in picking this one up if I knew nothing about it and then read that because I feel like... The, that back is a good like summation of like a history channel documentary yeah. on this that would totally entice you to go see the movie then so i think i'd be i'd be pumped to watch this one based on that super long distri- description yeah i guess i'll be the want wall guy as soon as i hear haunted house i have no interest uh, i'm not a ghost guy i'm not a haunted house guy i'm definitely the biggest skeptic of my family or anything like that so i'm the no fun guy now if you would throw in you know, and you know, like Evil Dead, crazy demon possession where it's over the top and no one really gives a shit that it's demons. You know, it's more like just let's fuck some shit up. Well, you're more interested in like a cabin in the wood versus a haunted house. Yes, I'm much more interested in the cabin in the woods, kind of like a real threat coming at you. I've never experienced anything ghostly or anything like that. I never relate. And I'm not saying that you have to, you know, relate to having a spooky experience in your life to like these films. That's just my perspective. And I've always been the person where I'm like, oh, paranormal activity. Yeah, I don't care. I believe I have. And like, I'm very, I feel like in tune with that ghostly kind of stuff. And that's why I do like a lot of films. But it's funny you say paranormal activity. We were just talking about that movie. And like, I I didn't think that was scary. Um, Personally, I think there's something... A haunted house movie has to have something more than just a haunted house. And like this story, I really love the family. And it's like, if you spend time like letting me get to know them, I'm going to care for them and be concerned for every strange thing. If you're just presenting me a bunch of strange things with people I don't know, that's not a haunted house to me. Like the house, I guess I'm more interested into haunted home movies. (laughs) Than haunted house movies. Wow. Wow. That's a really good... I like that. Oh my god. That's astute. (laughs) 
<laughs> like for one second, I just went into like a whole different world of like, wow, maybe we do need another subgenre. <laughs> <laughs> we do haunted home movies where it's like you, this is a family unit. They are starting their life here. And so you can see that they're happy moving in and you can see the change when it's just dropped in. Like, I don't care. Like, why are the, why do I care about people? <laughs> why do I care about these people? See, that's the insight you bring when you read. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It is true. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I think the one thing that spooks me in movies is ghost stuff. I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm really creeped out by any, I've seen so many horror movies in my day. I don't think horror movies really scare me anymore, but like ghost stuff can be the one thing that kind of spooks me. And I've never had a paranormal experience and I don't even know if I necessarily believe in it, but it's something about that ambiguity. I think that scares the shit out of me. (laughs) Yeah. I I talk about stuff like that all the time too. So it probably also doesn't make you feel great that like, I believe that I've had spookum times or some kind of connection to something. So it's like, just like having an awareness of something that could happen it does make it's the word unsettled. Yes, that's how I feel. It's like you're not afraid you're unsettled because at any moment, what if that thing becomes true? Exactly. Ugh. That's that's where I, that's where I'm at with like ghost stuff. It's like it's, the what if it's the what if it's like I don't really believe in it, but like maybe and like what the day I see something that convinces me otherwise, I'm terrified for this that. So infuriates me because we talk about how this apartment is haunted all the time. You believe something bad is here, a- right? Oh, yeah, I uh, I do not believe that much, that strongly. I guess in like ghostly stuff and paranormal up but our apartment is absolutely haunted (laughs) (laughs) after all that let's get into the film that sets it up nicely we have no trailer so let's feature presentation and now our feature presentation uh which is sad this becomes a running theme throughout this franchise that disappoints me but i get the 87 not having a trailer okay i don't think they really knew what they were doing at that time they were just starting but the the rest that irritates me but that's okay it is what it is uh, getting into the general plot, this movie starts off pretty jarring quickly. We get a murder of an entire family with a shotgun, and the audio in this really made you unsettled. Like, I was just like, oh, is this how this audio is going to be the whole movie? Yep. Like a bunch of just like we hear thunder crashing and then the shots and you kind of just feel them penetrate the bodies. Oh, yeah, it's like disorienting. It's like the storytelling method of anything relating to the DeFeo family story is very jarring. And it also intercuts a couple of times to the past throughout. And so and and it's kind of like an awkward, like you said, awkward cuts and loud noises, noises before the cuts line up. So it almost is like spooking you twice in a row. (laughs) And there's never, it's always unsettling to like kind of watch like a child's body bounce in a bed after it gets blasted by a shotgun. Like it's pretty fucked up. So So immediately you're just like, okay, this is evil. Yeah. This is bad. Well, even as a, as a film watcher too, you kind of feel like, okay, anything goes because this is how we're starting. You know, like we're watching kids and a whole family get slaughtered in the first two minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, what else is the rest of the movie going to do? I was just going to say there's something like so fucking sad about like this person's like shot, like do, using a shotgun. And then like all of the kids are just like motionless in bed before they get shot. So it's either they are sleeping and didn't hear or they know what's going to happen. And like they're terrified. 
But it's like we don't spend a lot of time with that because that that's not the story we're following. We're following this new crop of people. But it's like, what the fuck was going on there? <laughs> no, and I think it's a brilliant way to start off this film because you shock your audience immediately. It's just like, hey, this isn't going to be a story about a family coming to a house and getting haunt and haunted. This is like, we're going to hit you in the face with a hammer right away. So don't show up late. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. And then James... Tolkien comes out of nowhere, Tolkien, and I'm like, uh-oh, the principal from Back to the Future. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly, you're a slacker. <laughs> I, I was like name dropping someone I have no idea. <laughs> it's that character actor that either always plays like a principal or a cop sure. that's in the beginning of the movie. Sure. I think we pointed him out when we watched it. We're like, hey, it's that character actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love like 70s movies because there's always like a million character yes. actors. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we start that off right away. And I was a little disappointed because it's not in the rest of the film. And I go, oh, but that's okay. We got plenty of them in Back to the Future. And then we've got a star-studded cast regardless here. I mean, we James Rowland. Oh being like a handsome fox and just a superstar margot kidder coming out coming on after uh superman looking again like a fox both of them two foxes in a in a hound here (laughs) it's it's great and right away i think they sell that this couple is starting their life you know they seem to love each other james brolin's a little bit got that like machismo he's kind of a dick to the realtor but I don't really care because the realtor's gone so quickly. I actually love that he was a dick to the realtor. The main reason is because his primary dickiness was about an assumed yeah. relationship. He, she's like, oh, you guys can have kids because she knows that they just recently got married. And he's like, we already have kids. And it's like to stir it up because he's like, I'm a stepfather. How dare you assume that like... We are not a different family, you know, and like that's kind of early thinking for Mm -hmm. that. And it's like kind of nice to see like frustrations from that at the time. And and you could see like how much that like really she was like, don't do that to him. But like it almost made her like proud that he would stand up for that and say that, hey, your situation is not wrong. We are doing the right thing. And like, I think that's like a comforting thing. So it's like, it's dicky, but like not to the family. It's like in a protective manner. Right. Yeah. They're, they're smiling and, you know, hugging and rubbing shoulders and stuff together. <laughs> and, he, and, and he's, you know, razzing the, the realtor. And the last two times that I've moved, I've been talked down to by every goddamn realtor that I've seen <laughs> and wanted to tell each of them to fuck off. But yeah, I didn't. So <laughs> James Brolin's just living my fantasy here in this beginning because, yeah, I don't think I've ever been talked to uh, like a human by a realtor ever before. So <laughs> good for him. Wow. There's a lot of realtor anger here. I, I've never, <laughs> I, I mean, no one ever, I don't talk to realtors. So dude, it's crazy, like, and it's funny, like, one realtor experience we had years ago was literally, a like, a dude talking down to me and saying I was picky because I didn't want a giant hole in a bathtub. Yeah. That they weren't fixing. And then he was like, well, besides the tub, what do you think? And Matt had to, like, do the thing, like, the dude thing of, like, you can't dismiss... <laughs> we want to <laughs> live in a nice place this place is like taped up with police tape are you kidding me 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't hate all realtors or anything like that. It's just the ones we've dealt with in our moving in the last, you know, two places we've we had. We don't hate realtors. We hate the game. We hate the, well, we hate the fucking people we've been stuck with, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like the the hole in the bathtub that we had to deal with and the uh, four murders or five murders in that house that six they have murders, to deal with. Isn't it six? I don't know. I just feel like the number's insane. <laughs> I feel like the the number of kids in that house, in the DeFeo house, grows every time I hear the story. So yeah. <laughs> he was he was the firstborn. He killed five. The the three three younger children and the mother and father. Oh, my goodness. And then that story of what he ended up claiming, we'll talk about in the second one more, but it's wacky. We get into them moving in in this $80,000 dream house, and they got it cheap because of all the murders. I do like James Brolin's line of like, well, because she mentions like, oh, don't you feel eerie about moving into a house where people died? And he goes, well, yeah, of course, but houses don't have memories. I just wish that all those people hadn't died here. I mean, ugh, a guy kills his whole family. Doesn't that bother you? Sure, but houses don't have memories. I don't know. Well, I do. The house wouldn't even be for sale, and if it was, we couldn't afford it if we had uh, tuna casseroles for a year. I really like that line. It's beautiful. Yeah, I thought that was well written. I don't know if the writer wrote it or the screen. I mean, I, I, I we'd have to read the book to know. But Maybe I'll, I'll do some homework. I'll read the book and let you know before you finish the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, I should try. I'll write it down. I don't know. It's quarantine. I make lots of promises I can't keep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we get to meet the kids and the kids really only one kid is important. Who's talking to Jody, the ghost throughout this, because I don't even know the kids names. I can't remember. Yeah, I feel like the kids are prominently featured in the Ryan Reynolds uh, version. They are featured the whole time because I feel like one of the kids name is like Scott or Kyle or something. But yeah, this one, the little girl is mainly featured. And I remembered her going onto the roof, which never happens. And I think that might also be the remake. So it's like, there's... Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, like, so they really did take some liberties. And that's why I am kind of curious to read the book. Because I want to see if, like, all of those things were included. And they just kind of cherry-picked, like, which ones they wanted for their narrative. But yeah, the boys, besides uh, the one falling down the stairs, <laughs> that's kind of all I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and even even the girl with, the, with Jody isn't really explored mm -hmm. too much. It's just sort of there and it's eerie. And they focus on the doll who was like Jody's, but they don't talk about that too much. It's there to, for creeps, but it doesn't really push the story in any way. Now, I feel like in this one, the boathouse is more important to the house, the windows, the boathouse, because it like relates to the father. Like he really liked the boathouse. They could move in. You kind of get that, and I think a kid goes into the boathouse in the first one? Or is that the remake? It's the remake. The, the remake has more of... I thought that it was going to follow the same thing, because he said, I can make my... Uh, I don't have to pay rent wherever he is. I can make this my office. But he only chops trees. <laughs> like the entire time. And so in the Ryan Reynolds one, I believe it is a main focus, because I think there's a spooky... I think a kid goes into the water or he goes into the water. And then at the end, I believe they have like an escape 
boat thing situation. But yeah, so I, I really thought that that was going to have more of a... I'm, I'm curious, is there like an extended cut of Amityville, like the lost cut thing? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it seems like there's a lot more details that can be said. And I'm sure because it's a, it's a book and it's a real story and it's 28 days of weird shit going on. You had to pick and choose what you wanted to show. And I mean like, yeah, the flies, the bleeding walls, the... The exploding door. Like, that's the stuff you want to see. So it's like, eh, do we need to see his obsession with the boathouse? Do we need to see the kids? And they're, you know, like, it's it's only peppered in, I feel like, as much as these filmmakers probably think it's necessary because they got to show off the, the crazy spooky shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think that watching the remake after this was probably a mistake because I, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do this the whole time. I'm like, wait a minute. Did that do that? there i don't know <laughs> well it's crazy because i've i feel like i've seen the remake quite a bit because it was always on tv and stuff but like i've also seen this one so in my brain they are kind of the same so i guess i am at an advantage because i just watched the first one only and so it's kind of pure in a way but like during the movie the whole time i was like i don't i thought this happened i thought this happened and it's it feels like the Ryan Reynolds one can be almost like a companion piece. That's what I was going to say. Because yeah, it fills the blanks. Exactly. It completes the story. If you watch both of them, you kind of get the full story of probably what the book is conveying. So Because it, it's covering different kind of aspects of mm-hmm. it. But going farther into this movie, I, I thought it was interesting that the father was brought in. Like, I get, I, I guess it's like an older custom, or maybe it still is happening now. I'm not Catholic. I don't know. Do people still get their houses blessed by a priest? I don't, I mean, I don't know if this is still something that's popular. I, I don't ever hear about it or see it or know anybody who does it. But I think in this movie, I think we're supposed to take away, at least this is what I got, that she's real religious. Like she's really, really religious. Like he converted for her, they mentioned yes. at one point in the movie. She's the one that wants to hang up the cross in the living room and stuff. I think she has like a super religious upbringing and. Then when she gets a divorce, which is kind of frowned upon in like the church, she has this connection with the priest who helps her through it. He's like a father figure to her, like an actual father. Right, exactly. Like, so I think, I think she's just super into that. I think she's super religious and I think she has a connection with the priest. I think it, I think it's a, a case specific thing for this, but maybe at the time it was more popular. I don't know. I bet it really was popular, but like now I think that's like a common courtesy for like smaller communities, especially like if you go to church and you meet your new church leaders and everything, they, you probably have a conversation and they probably offer those kind of services. Like if, you know, like that, but nowadays I bet it still happens, but it's like upon request. And it's it's like probably a fucking business now too. Oh, probably put down $500 (laughs) so you can get the priest to come and throw some water at your house. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, Matt. Someone's ex-Catholicism brain is showing. (laughs) I'm spicy today. (laughs) That's fine. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, how much does that fucking cost? (laughs) Mine is more from the money aspect because I feel like everywhere I go, Facebook, real life, people are asking me, will you donate? And I'm like, I know I want my money. I'll do it myself. I'm becoming like a, a crusty old man for some reason. I don't know what it is. It's because we don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like saving up for an actual place right now, I feel like it's becoming more like yeah. pressure put upon me, even though I'm still living comfortable. I don't know what it is. It's a it's an well, odd. It's, you're giving yourself a timeline of like a goal. So yeah. like saving as much as you can is like 
gonna drive you crazy because like yeah i feel like yeah we want to we want to move at some point too and like when you start thinking of that stuff you're like i gotta tighten up <laughs> i gotta tighten up every aspect of my life because i need to be ready and for a new house you never know what you're gonna get exactly you could get the amityville house you could get the amityville house. <laughs> steve I, I ain't moving out i am not moving out this shit will have to implode before i go i'll be like oh i mean i guess if sarah left if sarah left then i'd be like but if the dog stayed it would be a tough call. Tough call. <laughs> oh, I'd stay for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when they go, I mean, he, he walks right into the house, which I was like, OK, I guess they know each other. So it's comfortable. But the whole flies. That me out, too. I said that it was inappropriate. I was like, yes. you know what, father? I think the flies, that's what you get. If you go in there to a new house and you don't hear anybody and you call out multiple times, step back out. That's a huge property. Go around the house and see them and say, hey, I'm here. Would you like me to start? Announce your arrival. Can you imagine walking into your fucking house into a bedroom and just like see some fucking priest screaming covered in flies? Screaming covered in flies? <laughs> that is a nightmare and a half. Are you kidding me? Yeah, my, my first read, like if I knock on a door and or ring a doorbell whatever and nobody comes at the door my first reaction is to go around yes if they told me to come over or whatever my my first reaction is to go around the, the house to see if they're in the back hanging out or whatever you know like but this guy's reaction was i gotta go to that haunted ass looking bedroom <laughs> yeah like why did he choose that bedroom oh i think he heard like kids he heard, and then yeah. he saw them outside and he's like well this is as good a place as any to get started and it's like to put your bib back on <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess the sugar is why all the flies were on his face. And that actor, you know, got to give him props. Putting that sugar oh, on his face and doing him. that. That's all real. Ugh, Obviously ugh. no CG. So he was dedicated. And uh, Margot Kidder actually uh, became friends with this uh, actor. And uh, they were friends all the way up to his death. Aww. I think he's gone. Let me double check. If yeah, he, he, he is. He yes, is. Okay. 2002. Uh, yeah, that's dedication. That's one hell of an actor. But uh, I, one of the things, this made me feel so gross. When they flush the toilets and like the black tar <gasps> comes out. Yes. Ew. Oh, and then when he falls in it later, it's just like too much. <laughs> it's so gross. This movie sets up, which is something that carries through most of the, the or at least the trilogy, the pit to hell. Mm -hmm. This one sets that up. In a, in a fun way where it's kind of like it's under the stairs. He falls through the stairs and into it, but it's also in the side of the wall. Like it's a trippy thing when he. It's almost like a cave. Yeah. It's not, but it is. It's like the mouth of the cave yes. to hell. But like then you just get the priest, like when he finally is able to convey a message to the family, he's saying like, find the well. It's like mm -hmm. an entrance to hell. And I think it's just so interesting. We never like really see a well. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a metaphor <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> or just like, uh, yeah, like a landmark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause he just falls into whatever pit Goopies. under this. Yeah. And the stairs or whatever. Uh, but I, I do like that aspect of it. That, that is where it's sort of pulsing from. I feel like this, the whole franchise, well, I guess the first three movies in the franchise, we get a lot of liquids, unidentified liquids. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the bleeding walls and stairs were a thing in this one. And I, I remember that was like a... Sweat. Yeah. Everybody's, oh my God, James Brolin is like glistening during that wedding sequence. Oh my God. 
Oh my god. When he's like, you look like shit, and he's like, I keep hearing that. It's like, what do you think? (laughs) You know things are bad when, like, every single person who sees you is like, oh my god, are you you okay? And literally every time we see him as an audience, it, like, progressively is getting worse and worse. It's like, when you first see him, he's kind of got red eyes, but by the end, he just looks like a zombie. (laughs) Well, and he also has the cold sweats, because he's constantly cold, but sweating, which is always the weird, like, when you're sick... And you can't, you like one second you feel cold, the next second you're you're covered in covers and you're sweating and you got a hoodie on and you're like, nothing feels right. It feels like you're dying. Like, like literally when you have those like crazed, oh my God, I haven't, I knock on what I have, I don't have it like for a long time, but like those crazed fever chills like at night and like you just are delusional and miserable the whole time. So like, I think it's really effective because his gradual makeup intensity as the movie goes on i'm like this man is gonna go insane because he keeps he's getting grumpier he's he's lashing out he's so cold and he's sweating and he's just like so fixated on things and sometimes not even present mentally he's just staring off especially like when he has conversations with his friend like that was such like a bizarre when he punches him yes well even before that when he's like just you know having time with his best friend axe But I think it's just a really effective thing into making it so that we understand that this is not him. We saw who he was in the beginning. He is turning insane. Like he is turning. I promised the men I'd hand deliver these. Should have been paid yesterday. Some caterer's been screaming that you wrote him a personal check that bounced. I should have covered that. And some guy from the IRS has been calling. Don't you have any good news? I like his performance oh, he's a lot. Oh, great in it. Actually, I really, really like it. And I like Margot Kidder a lot, too. Oh, but, like, so he's, Brolin's got to do the change, and I think it works really well. Yeah, I think he steals the show throughout this because his character has more of a change throughout time, especially physically. I think she's uncomfortable with the house from the beginning. She's uncomfortable with how he's acting. And then she wants to get the hell out more than him. Yes. Because he's kind of being possessed. So she doesn't have as big a arc. She's kind of right from the beginning. I think she does a good job with just her intensity level increasing because then in the beginning, she's they're they're newly married and like they're so in love and so when he's starting to change a little bit she's more gentle with him she's like i i just want to make sure you're okay you know she's like very gentle and then by the end she's screaming in his fucking face until he hits her there's such an intensity and an urgency there so i think she plays that character very well i also think it's very interesting like how it doesn't have a big effect on her the house and it might be her extreme religious ties yeah, she isn't taken by it because she's religious. He's new to religion, so it's taking him. And then I could have said, because in my brain, I'm like, is it like a feminine energy? Is it a male energy? Because obviously, like, the grown male is absolutely insane. But I think it's more of a religious thing because then the daughter is taken by it, but she's innocent. Right. So it's like this woman, uh, Margot Kidder's, like, extreme faith is, I think, what kind of shields her the whole time. And that's why... I think anytime she tries to call, it tries any way to prevent her from changing the course of action. Yeah, I was wondering if they were 
trying to do the matriarch protecting the family. Yes, for sure. I think that's definitely what it is. I think it's more of the religion. Yeah, she's protecting the family, obviously, trying to keep it together. But I think you're right. What gives her her power is her religious faith. It's good. <laughs> and then if you and then, too, if you remove the the religious aspect of it, I think she's the audience as well. Yes. where She's kind of being like. We gotta get out of here. <laughs> like this is not this is not doing well for you. It's turning you into a monster. Like, and I gotta protect my kids. Type thing. Like, I think she's she's safe from it because of the religion thing. And I think we relate uh, re- religion or not because she's the audience. She's the one being like. I also think because she's such like a source of good, and he adores her he yeah. really like, yeah. in the beginning like yeah, you he adores tell. her and so much so that it doesn't change throughout and when he is in this intense fury when he finally pushes her down and is going to fucking chop her mm-hmm. he like he feels like the love it's like love that it can fight it yeah love and that's what breaks breaks the thing for him then too after he almost splits her head then he like snaps out of it. But He's how many like, times does that happen? It's like uh, like a friendship love because his partner, his business partner also does this thing he punches him and then he's like oh my god it broke it because he's like I don't do this to him. He, I love him. He's my friend. Yeah. So it's like there's so much where you could say religion is like uh, protected. Love is protected. Mm. Family is protected. It's It's very like intense emotion. That like fuels it, and like I'm just curious, like what was missing for the DeFeos? <laughs> like it, yeah. it, it makes you question like all this stuff. You know, it seemed like a shitty father. That's what it was oh, at the yeah. DeFeos. <laughs> for sure, a shitty father. <laughs> no, I can't wait till we get into that one about that family. Oof, that's a nasty movie. But uh, until next week, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we uh, we have the the wedding, which I always find this one fascinating. Where the kid. Loses $1,500, Kathy's little brother, and then he looks for it for like two minutes. And I'm like, what? No, you just had $1,500. I would have tore that room apart. I don't care if it's your house. If I got cash that's $1,500, I ain't setting that down. Are you kidding me? That has to be like in my eye line at all <laughs> times. And you know what? At, if you have it in your hands, run to the guy and give it to him. And if I have it in my pocket, I'm checking my pocket every like three seconds. I'm like, yes. is it still there? Yep. Is it still there? That's a lot of fucking money, especially for that time. But I like how the house just kind of eats it. Like, it's just like the mm-hmm. house just takes it. <laughs> like, I never take large sums of money of cash out ever because, like, why would I? I think the most I've taken out was, like, when I got a tattoo. And when I got the money out, I was, like, paranoid the whole fucking time. Like, I don't want money back then, though. I guess, like, you just had money. <laughs> you didn't, I don't know. Mine was back in the day when I had to take out cash for uh, rent. And I would demand a receipt. Oh, yes, absolutely. Good for you. We demanded receipts um, when we hand delivered our checks and everything. And we, you have to, guys, if you're not demanding receipts for your shit, <laughs> please do so. That's just a PSA for that. <laughs> <laughs> because you cannot trust people. Yeah, you can't trust people, especially in business and especially if you're renting anywhere. Do not trust them. <laughs> Dude, if you're renting, don't trust anyone. <laughs> and apparently, if you're buying, don't trust the house. <laughs> yeah, make sure there's no murders in your house, too, if you're I buying. I don't know. Like, you got to look into the murder, I would say, because the murder <laughs> might make the house affordable. <laughs> look into what the murder is. <laughs> it's like, was it a, was it like a euthanasia thing? Or was yeah. It? 
Yeah. Oh my god. You got to find out what motivates the house and then become friends. Use use your resources. Kind of do a light saging of the uh, <laughs> yeah, the cleanse, the little cleanse. Get your local priest to come by, and, you know. Whatever floats your boat. And then if flies attack, then you know it's not the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a key right there. Does your priest have sugar on his face? That's a problem. I do think that wedding sequence is just like so good. Like we we don't even really see the wedding ever. It's nope. it's just like James Brolin getting more and more sweaty and irate. And like when he's in the bathroom screaming at the dude about the money. Oh my God. Yeah. The guy who I thought was a bathroom attendant, but uh, actually was the caterer. <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck does that? Who like follows someone into the bathroom and asks for their money? He was holding out like a napkin after and I'm like, oh, this is the bathroom attendant. And then like literally Matt said the same thing. And then I were like, oh, no, it's the caterer. <laughs> now, because I actually thought that entire I'm like, well, you know, I get why it was in there. Cause one, James Brolin's like just falling apart and yes. attacking someone is spectacular. I, I think it kind of hurts the flow of the movie a little bit, but uh, I see why they put it in there. Uh, what I do think they could have thrown out was a lot of the business partner's wife. I loved her so much because I just don't think she was in it that much. There's one simple rule. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change forms. Karen, will you get a grip on yourself? You sound like some kind of psycho weirdo. Come on, Jeffrey. Don't be such a big, hardcore rationalist. You know, everything in life cannot be explained by a slide rule. Oh, thank you very much for your cosmic views. Now do me a favor. Shut up! Well, I understand why, because she helps, you know, like, find the well to hell or whatever it is. It's like a little puddle of unidentified liquid, I assume blood, where I love how the dog is like, oh, sweet. Yeah, that dog is hungry. <laughs> dog is hungry and something fresh is down there. I mean, I get why she's in there, okay? And I don't mind that it's in the film, but uh, I think it would have been more interesting if James Brolin would have been attracted to it, seeing the dog scratching on it, and he just would have knocked down the wall. I think he could have saved like a good 10, 15 minutes of the film. I think she's in there because it's all, It's I think it's supposed to be timely in that like she's kind of the new agey. She's a mystic. Uh, missed it, which I think was another sort of, and I don't want to say, I guess, really, I guess religion uh, in the seventies was really, it was really popular. It's a, a belief system. Yeah. A belief system that was really taking off in the seventies. So I think it was a way to show, Hey, Catholics are being affected by this. Non-religious people are being affected by this. Even like somebody new agey thinking mystically is being affected by this. Yes. This house has a pulse regardless of what your religion or yes. your beliefs are. <laughs> Devils and demons don't care. They're coming for us all. They're yes. coming whatever religion you are. <laughs> and, yeah, it's like, it's like, look, yes, of course, this is a religious movie and these figures are religious, but it's like move beyond that this is a human story and there is a threat and like that's all you need to pay attention to mm -hmm. yeah that is one nice thing that this film does is it puts together a threat that you can't see yes and makes it threatening oh my god i love the eyes in the window oh my god <laughs> or the or the little demon that you see at the end the dragon yes. demon thing that's so fun yeah, can someone explain to me what this pig swine with red eyes is i i don't understand it is there something in religious lore, I don't know about. I just think it's what like the hooved feet, and I think yeah. it, I think it's always. I'm sure there's a bunch of different varieties of like 
text describing like the devil or demons or demonic presences or whatever so i'm sure like this pig light it's always livestock Mm -hmm. and you can tell like i think they also do it in like rituals and all that shit they always like feature livestock so i think any combination of like unworldly livestock style thing is just supposed to be representative of satanic uh vibes i don't know (laughs) yeah i I think like too when you see it like i feel like the movie is saying oh it's haunted it could be a demon whatever i feel like when they show that thing we're like that's motherfucking satan yeah that's satan in the house (laughs) it's gotta be something i I would really like to know if like a swine pig is something that someone used to use back in the day but i get the livestock i know what you're also saying like all also all through the years like animals being sacrificed Yes. But I guess that's more of like pagan rituals and uh, Vikings and all that good stuff. I don't know. But all of the but all of that has basis in things like right, Catholicism. That. That's like what it pagan was like original. Right, exactly. And so all of these things stemmed off of so they all kind of contain these rituals and these these imagery, uh these types of imagery having to do with similar things. Like I think that's just like a a natural thing <laughs> that's that was very common and representative of long ago times like livestock was around yeah. you know <laughs> and uh like that's just what it is and like that's where the imagery comes from i think it, it all religion has some kind of tie to a balance of good evil whatever and so whatever religion it is they all have similar tropes uh and then the 315 when he wakes up uh george lutz I like this because at the beginning I didn't get it, and I don't know. Do they ever explain it's three fifteen? That's when Robbie DeFeo killed his family. I think it's Ronald. I don't they, know if they describe it. They do, they just show the clock. Oh, okay. they just show the clock change. It's like very fast. And then, I just assumed, and also three a.m. is like a, a well, like the witching time. hour. It, or it's whatever. a spooky time is when it's supposed to be. Yeah, but I think uh, I think they do show it quickly once at the beginning, and then they they show it again later the the 315 thing the, the changing clock that's always creepy oh the same time is always on like a nauseating i feel like i had a period of time where i woke up the same time over and over again i'm like okay what's happening what's happening at 5 a.m no i used to wake up every morning around six o'clock and mm-hmm. i was like i want to sleep another hour why do you keep waking up because satan wants to talk to you <laughs> satan satan I thought maybe the 315, I don't know about this, but Matt, you answered it with showing the clock at the beginning, I'm assuming. But I was like, oh, I wonder if they said it when Margot Kidder's Kathy went to the library to research the family. When they show, they show George looks a lot like Ronald DeFeo. Mm-hmm. I think it's so funny because they show his ref- they show that he looks like Ronald in the photos, but then he also has... You know, his reflection show when they find the well to hell. And I was trying to figure out what sort of symbolism or visual they're trying to show. I didn't quite get that. Is that like... Yeah, because he DeFeo in this mind, it looks exactly like him. It's, it's yeah. exactly like him. So I think it's more like instead of you look like a killer, it's like you could easily become a killer. Right. Because it's like he's seeing the duality of his personality. Like if he followed a certain path, he could be this horrible person. It's like the concept of free will. You believe you're a good person, but just in a moment you become a monster. Whatever's in him 
is the same thing that DeFeo. was in DeFeo, and I don't mean it like a ghost. I mean it like that ability Impulse. to kill. Yeah, Impulse. right. Yeah, or like that ability to kill or be uh, malevolent or whatever. It's it's in both of them, and they both have that. Yeah, and that's terrifying. And yeah. I think that's what scares him so bad. Oh, by the way, that is James Brolin's brother. Oh, really? They were trying to figure out how to make it where they could shoot this and have the reflection, and James Brolin mentioned that his brother looks a lot like him, so just stick a fake beard on him, and it, it worked perfect. And uh, his brother was game. He got to hang out with his brother for two days on set while they were doing it. He said it was an absolute blast. That's so cute. I love it. Keep it in the family. <laughs> it's fun. I feel like a lot of films they use the brother or sister in something. Because I remember Terminator 2, didn't they use uh, Linda Hamilton's twin sister? Which is great. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you need someone that looks like you, hey, uh, I got a brother, got a sister, pay him for one day. What Fast and Furious, now that he's gone, his yeah, brother. Paul, Paul Walker's brothers did the yeah part for him. Oh, so that is such a sad, <laughs> like I cried my fucking eyes. <laughs> I was like, don't you do this to me. Oh, it's beautiful. And then, uh, so after the library, the house, this is basically where the house just, you know, goes absolutely nuts. And uh, we get a lot of fun stuff. We get a pig in the window. We get the walls bleeding. And basically, the house just seems to, like, grow its own atmosphere. Yeah, it comes alive. And it's pretty cool to I me mean, watch them, like, run out of the house. And then, because I think George tries to kill Kathy. Yes. And then stops. Because in the new one, there, the 2005 one, I think, doesn't uh, Ryan Reynolds more go after the kids and then Kathy knocks him out? I think so. Because, yeah, it's just so kid-centric. And that's, like, I think what the fear of our time. It's, like, it's not you killing your whole family. It's, like, you targeting children. Like, that's even scarier. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's just, like, why it works better for that one. But yeah, in this one, he goes after Kathy. and that's the, one the one thing he loves so much. Yeah, and that's what sets him straight. He just basically yells at the kids in this one. Don't sneak up on me. Yeah. You know, when he's in his underwear. I love that scene. I was like, yep, 70s, 80s, 90s dads running around their underwear. I don't know what the fuck was up with that. Okay, I literally, we were, we've been talking about this all week. Every movie we're watching has somebody in tidy whities And I was just like, Matt, it doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> we, even, we even saw it in wrestling this week. We were watching yes! SmackDown. Somebody was in their underwear in tidy whities and so it's just like a hilarious thing. And I was just like, um, it's just, you know, your balls are right there. Like, maybe put your balls away. <laughs> put your balls away, dad. Dad. Or stepdad. Stepdad, put your balls away. <laughs> Shit. Jesus, at least wear, like, you know, pajama bottoms. You're freezing, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know. I've never, I, I probably wore tiny whiteies when I was a kid, but as soon as I could make my own decisions, I was like, fuck those things. Exactly. I'm sorry if you wear tiny whiteies out there, but just know. I'm not. You shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just know it don't look good. <laughs> and you should feel good. Look good and feel good, you know? I just don't think there's any support in them. <laughs> Like, I don't wear them, but, like, I'm looking at so many tidy whities this week for some reason. And I'm like, where is the comfort? Where is the support? <laughs> As my mom would say, you look frumpy. Yes, there's, like, a sag to yeah. everything. Yeah. And I'm like, just, that's not comfy. Tube socks and tidy whities Just an odd thing. <laughs> <laughs> both for dicks. <laughs> <laughs> you put your dicks in both of them. <laughs> We've been watching too many 2000s movies. <laughs> <laughs> or, or 80s comedies. I was like, okay, yes, right. both for yeah. sure. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, the house goes nuts and they, they basically, well, 
James Brolin has to get an ounce of courage to go back for that dog. And I was like, you better not leave that dog. But he gets that dog. And then, okay, so the ending of this, did it, it pissed me off because I hate endings like this. How about you guys? Where it doesn't address anything. Well, it just says like, puts text up and it's like, oh, this, they left. They never came back. I, I didn't remember that this is how that ended. It, it kind of felt like it was in the middle of something. Yes. A little bit. It's a little unfinished, but I mean, I love the moment. Like, I thought that, I thought that George, is it George Lutz? Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to have like another slip, at least one more slip into demonic, like mind control or something. Um, But no, he got in the house and he grabbed that fucking dog and he got out. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just wasn't anticipating it to end right there. I, I kind of I kind of liked it. I'm like, story's over. We're done. We're out. We don't need any wrap ups. We don't need follow ups. Like, I guess since we story's know over, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I thought the the new one did it better, where they just kind of like give each other a look. You look at the family nervous, and then it fades to black. Yeah, and I'm like, there's more of a subtle just ending. Like, you know, like they could take a breath. They're out of the house. They're gonna live. You don't know what's gonna happen. I just didn't like the abrupt ending. Where it felt like it was about to do something. Then it goes to black and then it has text. Ooh, here's a fun thing. Like, maybe we see it from the house's perspective. Though That family never returns. Yeah. You know, so once they get past a certain point, that story is over. Because yeah. they never come back to get any of their stuff. Because it's all been tainted by evil. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I wonder if the book addresses what the Lutz did afterwards. Because they left everything in the house and they never came back don't give the uh 2005 one too much credit because it does do the thing where it goes back to the house and shows the cgi ghost girl like scream at the screen before the credits (laughs) yeah you could have had that at the end of this so (laughs) at least we didn't have that I blacked that out of my mind. That's like a Blumhouse ending. Yeah, it, had, it totally had an early Blumhouse ending for sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, it's it's a thing. It's like you either have a story that ends abruptly like that, or yeah, it does too much. Yeah, you tack on like a you a tack on some, yeah, bo- a dumb CGI scare at the end. Like those, those are the ways out, I guess, of this. But uh, yeah, I don't need to know what their story is after it. They write a book. They meet Jay Anson and they write a book. That's what the story is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where, in my opinion, that's when you learn about the story. It's it's a book when you, you know, people want to know everything. In the movie, just let it go. Yeah. And definitely don't do the, isn't this scary ending? CEOs. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh God, we don't need it ever. <laughs> Especially since it was such a trope of the 80s. Like, why are you bringing back in 2005? Oh, the 2000s love those endings. And now, yeah, Blumhouse has carried on their tradition in the 2010s. Like, and I'm like, Blumhouse, like, literally, if you just cut that out, I will like you way more. Uh, yeah, if it wasn't for the last 30 seconds of certain Blumhouse movies, I feel like I would like them more. Unfriended, the Sinister 2, I think, has a really stupid evil survives ending. Yeah, I don't know. I could probably list them all. But like if Blumhouse does that fucking all the time, Dude, and it's terrible. I would say that Sinister is a good like comparison of like the eerie vibe oh, that, that this movie kind of gets. It mm-hmm. is a good eerie vibe throughout the whole time. Yeah, this movie does have like just uh an evil kind of pulse. Ooh, when to you it. see like I'm assuming Jody or the devil's eyes outside the window. Oh, just the light, the glowing eyes. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of good spooks in this. This is like a perfect fucking Halloween movie. Yeah, we should watch it again on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that in text. Uh, I took it more of like 
the ramp up, like the beginning to really set the hot, the fall autumn mood, this movie nails it. It does. And yeah, they're in sweaters the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it feels like fall. It She's feels in like... those boots and the long skirt. Yeah. It's very cute. <laughs> I can definitely see why Margot Kidder was used a lot. She's adorable and can act and charismatic. Yeah, she's got it. Oh my gosh, she's so, like, whenever they were together, I was like, oh my god, dream couple! <laughs> yeah, almost the, like, annoying perfect couple for each other. Yes, they're perfect. Uh, so, yeah, I ended up watching the Lifetime documentary on Margot Kidder's life up to that point, which I think was, I don't know, 2008, I think maybe it was. So, uh, she's got a fascinating life where she's, you know, been married to John Hurd, uh, the director of the time, um, Brian De Palma. I don't know if she actually married Brian De Palma, but they certainly fell in love. Uh, but she lived in that famous house in um, California during the 70s and 80s where it just had all these amazing actors come through it. John Hurd, Margot Kidder, uh, and other directors, Brian De Palma, Spielberg. They should make an entire documentary about that it's, house. It's definitely like filmmaking auteurs. Like it's... It's a creative, like, I don't know, nest, a hive, if yeah, you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it also goes in how she she suffered from manic depression for a long time and just didn't understand what it was until she had her complete breakdown in the 90s, where she basically was living homeless for a couple days. Oh. I saw pictures of her. She doesn't even look like herself. I mean, she was losing teeth. My heart breaks for, like, all of those extremely wonderful actors, like, from that time who, like, yeah, so many of them had, like, mental issues that, like, that stuff just wasn't talked about. And it's so sad. And, like, yeah, all of these actors are incredible. But how many people had, like, extreme alcoholism and drug addiction and rage issues and depression? And it's like, yeah, because they're living in a crazy world <laughs> and they're acting nonstop and there's burning. no rules for them. They're burning hot. <laughs> yes. You know, she became an activist for depression. She seemed to really conquer it and, you know, give people a lot of hope and everything. I think that's what was truly sad in 2018 when she passed in her home in Montana was they ruled it a suicide by alcohol and drug overdose. So I don't Aww. know how she slipped back into the evils. I mean, depression never ends. I think that's just like something that is being understood more now. Where it's like, oh, you can heal yourself, but there's always, it's a mark on you. You're, you're always going to have some kind of connection to it and you can easily slip back. It's so easy to slip back into stuff like that. And yeah, that's so sad. But I, I am happy she did have like a portion of her life where she gained control of it. Because like, just because she slipped back, that doesn't take away all of the good and the progress she made. I always forget she was in Black Christmas too. I always do. I don't know why. She's an icon. Yeah, yeah she did it. Uh, I do like to go behind the scenes in this. Margot Kidder and James Brolin uh, acting styles clashed and they didn't really like to work with each other. Whenever they came out, maybe it was around 2005, 2006 when they came out with a, did they come out with like a big DVD behind the scenes and stuff with this? I don't know, you two, is that what you were watching or were you watching like the Scream Factory one? We were watching the Scream Factory one. Okay. It just has like one interview bonus feature on it, which we didn't watch. But uh, yeah, there's been... So many documentaries on this Lifetime, mm -hmm. uh, History Channel, A&E. I've seen so many of these ones in the 90s about the movie, like the making of the movie. 
uh, like E True Hollywood Story, stuff like that. She was more of like interact with your surroundings, see what happens type person. Like the script is there to start. James Brolin was like, the script is what I'm saying. Uh, give me where I need to be. He was in a very exact. And at the end of the day, when they were going through, you know, talking about the making of it, they said that might have actually worked because Brolin was going insane and becoming uh, clashing that it mm-hmm. actually worked for the characters. And they said, you know, they're like, hey, I don't just like this person at all. Like They both said. Just their style creates a level of dissonance. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't do the interview together. That had nothing to do with that. She lived in Montana. I believe he lived California. I don't know. But she didn't leave uh, her, her house in Montana much closer to the end of her life, except when she actually had to work. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Montana, I think, is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Critics didn't like this movie then and now for some reason. 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that think- blows my mind. Yeah. I always grew up thinking that this was a classic and like I loved this movie. Audiences took it. The critics maybe didn't. But like, why? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, ju- I think it has a combination of a lot of things. One, people were tired of the... Catholicism horror movie, for, mm-hmm. you know, because they were doing so many ripoffs of it that I didn't list. I mean, even Black Exploitation got into it. Uh, what was that movie called? Abby? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you also had the haunted house genre going on. And and critics didn't respect this genre at all. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And critics didn't like horror. And then plus this was sensationalized. This was in the news. This was... Basically, this movie was kind of like a reality TV before reality TV, where it's sensational stuff that really happened to real people or whatever, and you it's up to you if you want to believe it. And I think that pisses, I guess I, w- I would say, like, film intellectuals off, you know, because it's just, it's to them, it's tabloid. I know, but, like, did the story tell an effective... Story throughout, you know, like I just think that (laughs) I think critics should be looking at the love. You are critiquing a story, a storytelling. Tell me the story. It told me a story, and I had like a lot of fun during it. Like, what are you specifically fucking looking at? (laughs) Does it have to like reach this rubric of like how did it make you fucking feel? No, it's a personal bias that critic film criticism still exists today, and it's you know, it's it's the way it is. (laughs) <laughs> like they just they they bring their own personal bias and i think they just assume that people are gonna find voices that match up with their own which isn't necessarily the case especially now because people just look at a number on rotten tomatoes yeah. now they don't even fucking try to align themselves with somebody but like yeah i just think i think they bring too much of their own bias into it and i think that's i think the fact that they'd probably been inundated with it for two <laughs> years was enough for them to be like i don't even want to see this story no definitely and i have friends that i really like that really pissed me off because of something's popular it's automatically not good where we're like they will cherish something that no one's ever heard of that when i watch it i'm like yeah that was boring as shit like what are you talking about i mean the jokes on all of these people who believe in that way because it's like you know what amityville how many it's still around yeah it's still being talked about we are fucking talking about it now and it's not like we're the only ones this is not an obscure thing that you guys are watching this is like one of the biggest fucking things like it plays every year on halloween on like amc or whatever it is that that has the television movies are still being made to spin off of it even if they're backyard movies people connect with this movie exactly so yeah the joke's on all of them because it is extremely popular this was nominated for best Original score, it lost a little romance with uh, Lawrence Olivier and Diane Lane. 
But the one that's more interesting is James Brolin couldn't get a job for two years after this film. Everybody was probably terrified of him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was trying to figure, he goes, well, either I was so bad and he doesn't like this to watch it because he's like, I, there's so much, you know, you know how artists will do. Nobody ever wants to see themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, well, either I was so bad that people were like, yeah, this guy can't lead a film or I was so good. No one wanted George Lutz in their film. Exactly. I think it was, he was so good. He disappeared into the role. And then when you have, when you cast someone like that in your movie, you're going to be like, oh, well, people are going to think that he's like an evil dude. People, maybe there was also like, maybe they asked audience test audiences and stuff like that. And people were like, that guy's a bad guy. Like, you know, I, I think the performance was so good that people back then I could imagine thought that. Obviously his career went on to be completely fine. So <laughs> He's yeah. still a cool dude. <laughs> he is, and he's got a son that's like just really chilling in the popularity and money, just coming in. He's a spitting image of his dad. Yeah, yeah they're starting to look alike now. <laughs> spitting image. I always loved him because, like, when I I loved Amityville growing up, and I like had a huge crush on James Brolin, and then I was like, he there's a little one, there's another Brolin. And he looks exactly like his dad. And I'm like, oh my goodness, look at this handsome boy. And then, yeah, now he's doing all the superhero things. And I'm like, all right, he's off a little bit. Like maybe <laughs> you got a, you got enough money. <laughs> Those checks are pretty big. <laughs> I guess, I guess. I'm sure right now he'll, he can do whatever he wants. I, I wonder if he will go down the route of like, I'm just going to do a bunch of little films because I could have done, you know, a Daredevil. Or not Daredevil. I'm so sorry, Deadpool. <laughs> I did not mean to say that, but um, yeah, he's done Deadpool. He's been Thanos. Maybe it's just time to. Like... He did like Sicario. He did, he does so many things. Yeah, he's like he's just so solid. He just gives it one hundred each time. He does not have a bad role, or he doesn't have a bad acting performance. He just goes in. He's just like, let's fucking do this from day one. I, I guarantee you, he is that guy on set. Where he's like, yeah, I'll work another four hours. Let's just get this shot. <laughs> yeah, that's just like an acting legacy family. And um, my mom always used to say, she's like, oh, you see that kid there? And uh, when we watch Goonies, you see that kid yes. there? That's James Brolin's son. And I'm like, mom, I don't know who the hell James Brolin is. Oh, dude, I did. Because I watched on the same fucking network. It was a back-to-back Amityville and Goonies time. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember the day I found out. I was like, wait a minute, they're related? And then you look at their faces and you're like, how did I not see it? So let's go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out into the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. This is our first entrance into the Amityville wing, the spooky wing. I imagine there's a bunch of leaves on the ground. Yes. Flies, bleeding walls, the huge. Yeah, the man, the janitor is not going to like us. <laughs> like every day I come in here and clean this damn hallway. <laughs> But it's got to be like Wes Craven. He's the, he's yeah, the janitor. It's, it's Wes Craven in the Freddy sweater. Yep. <laughs> yeah. From, oh, that was another Platinum Doom remake. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to let our guests go first. What do you got? I'm putting those windows in. <laughs> we got to bring some light into the joint, you know? 
Those are classic windows. They're classic windows. Unmistakable. They, yeah, it, they, the windows almost created more of a fear than the actual house did. So many people were drawn to it that they wanted to see it. And yeah, the windows were such a defining feature of the film, of the marketing, of the story. I don't know. Like, I, I think they're just an iconic feature to the house. And so if I can't put the whole house in, we're putting in those windows. <laughs> A good one. It's a really good one. Matt, number two. I'm going to put the general atmosphere, Halloween vibe, spooky season uh, tone. I think they really nailed it. Uh, it's got a really spooky tone. It's got a really good vibe. No, it's not a physical thing we can put in the museum, but uh, you could feel it. <laughs> and I think, I think those mirror their windows help uh, feeling that. But uh, yeah, I love the atmosphere of this one. It, it really got me uh, in the fall spirit. Yeah, starting out with the visual of the house and the atmosphere. Uh, yeah, I think that they pair well together. Other than the acting between the two, I think that's really what, you know, makes this film just like, you know, slightly above, hovering slightly above other iconic Halloween films. Is this... Like, when you get into it, you're like, this is how... And it also, it ends on a stormy night. So it's like, yeah, you just get all the spooks. Classic spooks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, mine's going to, like, ride that, too. Mine's going to be the, the music, the score. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't concentrate too much on the scores, but I felt like just closing your eyes, this film so much worked together to create a spooky feeling with the music, the feel, the visuals... And I think that like represents exactly our wing It's like, that's what makes this movie so iconic. Yeah. We have like, such. did we make our own haunted house in this wing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think we're building an abattoir here. <laughs> we're making a haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. With a very grumpy janitor. <laughs> yes. With a very grumpy janitor. I think this movie is paced really well. I think the acting's really good. I think the tone nails it. I think it's spooky. I think it's interesting. I think it's fun to watch. It's a breeze to watch. Mm -hmm. I think it's just got everything working in its favor. I get why it's considered a classic. I don't get why people... I'm trying to explain it during the podcast, but I don't get why people don't like this movie. I think it's great. Yeah, same. That's going to end our look at the Amityville Horror 1979. Come back next week. When we look at the prequel, I'm doing that in air quotes. Yes. When we come back in <laughs> yes. here, you'll know why. Uh, so it's it's definitely different. If they mm -hmm. were trying to establish a new look and feel, they did it. They did a lot. <laughs> if it's effective, so come back and hear our opinions on that because Ashley will be returning next week. Hell yeah. If they want to hear Ashley and Matt, Together, where can they go? You can check out the AF High List on anywhere you listen for our podcast. Uh, we get stoned out of our minds and watch the greatest 100 American films from the AFI list in 1998. Just a lot of giggles, a lot of nonsense, and a lot of probably like blasphemy against some of the greatest classics of all time. Absolutely. It's uh, it is a wonderful stomping on fandom, uh. <laughs> but or sometimes like a fun discovery because yeah. there are a lot of movies like I, I just we're watching this from seventy nine. I challenge you if you are only consuming films from right now, 
take a step back. Look at the past. There are some crazy good movies, but like they don't connect to our generation at all. (laughs) (laughs) But like they're still really good. So go watch a movie from the 30s or something. You know, you just got to explore that stuff. I fell into that where I only watched newer movies, I would say around college. And then as soon as I got out of college, I really experienced older films and was fascinated with how good they are like i mean you know it you hear the legends and you're like yeah but i never wanted i just never cared but when you actually go back and you just watch them some of the performances and some of the visuals are so good because one the visuals they had to do on their own there's no cg yes and like also a lot of films from the past are just carried by performance and so if you're a person who loves like watching a good performance like check out those classic people like Catherine hepburn we just watched uh well we didn't just (laughs) but like we have a recent episode out um for the philadelphia story i had never seen it i didn't know what it was but Catherine hepburn's in it uh carrie grant's in it james stewart's in it there's so many people that you vaguely know in your mind and so when you see them do an amazing job together one of their best performances all together it like just gives you a little special nod to like what film used to be you should appreciate film as an art yeah and i think and i think our podcast too is just like uh besides that well we're not gonna let movies get a pass either just because they're considered the greatest we're like Uh, this is racist or or it's bad like we're just calling like sorry it's a wonderful life has some shitty editing you know like (laughs) we're gonna talk about it so uh yeah we're gonna we embrace the movies of the past and their contribution to cinema, but we also don't let anything get by either. Yeah, it's like I'm a stoned person who's like, oh, let's watch this Christmas movie. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, what is this stupid jump cut? Like, what? Yeah, Finish the- your movie before you get it in the list here. <laughs> greatest movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's our podcast. So we're stoned and we just uh, we're brutally honest about movies. And a lot of times it's love. And sometimes it's calling it out if it's shitty. <laughs> and also, if, you, if you've if you heard me on this show a couple of times and you still haven't listened to the episode of the AF High List with Steve on our Star Wars episode, I believe it's 15. Yeah, go, it's go listen. It's still one of my favorite episodes we've done. So We get our buddy stoned. <laughs> yeah. uh, recommend that Star Wars episode highly. Yeah, one thing I always like about when I listen to your podcast is you two have such a chipper mood. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, obviously the weed is helping. Yes. Yes. But I, that is one thing I, I dig about it. Thank you for visiting this week. I know you'll be back next week. But uh, for a, uh, well, for something. Kind of gross. Amityville 2, The Possession. So remember, everyone, remember to be kind. And rewind. And rewind.